So good to see all of you. So, so good to see all of you. So happy you're here and talking to one another and meeting people. That's great. I love that. It's wonderful. Yes. Hello, hello. It's been a while, so I'm happy to be here with you this morning. My name's Cole, and uh, we're in a series called Form, and we're talking about taking on the image of Jesus. And as we take on the image of Jesus, it is a process also of understanding the specific components of who we are that align with his character and the things that are being refined in us and being shaped in us. And ultimately, the specific ways that each of us are called to embody who Jesus is. And we have this phrase in the church world and Christendom called calling. And uh, I think a lot of times it's kind of a negative word um, or an ambiguous word. It's an ambiguous word that maybe because it's ambiguous leads us to having some negative emotions about our calling. What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? I think the first time that maybe a lot of Christians encounter that idea of calling is like graduating high school. Where am I supposed to be? go to college, like there's this first kind of moment where we're encountered, we're confronted with this idea that the decisions that I make right now are the decisions that I have to maintain and kind of perpetuate for the rest of my days here as a human living on the planet. And there's this weight that comes with the idea of calling that can sometimes feel overwhelming. Anybody ever felt overwhelmed by the question of calling? Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And today when we talk about calling, I want us to move away from the idea of it just being what we do to who we are. Calling isn't about what we're paid to do, our job. I think a lot of times we think about calling in terms of job. It's about how we're meant to invest our lives. And so today, I want us to take a deep look, a big look at how we're meant to, as each of us individually, invest our lives. For me, this has been a process, as I'm sure it has been with you, of understanding our calling. I remember, you know, for over a decade of my life, and even still today, investing in lots of different things and in lots of different ways, kind of giving my energy and my time to different things. And I read Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. Um, And in that book, he talks about becoming an expert at something once you've done it for 10,000 hours. And I shared this story before. I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I've done anything for 10,000 hours. Am I just too divided in my life? Because the way I was understanding calling in that time, in that season of my life was the one thing I do as opposed to the uniting thing, the, the deep call on my life of who I'm meant to be. And as I went through that process of just saying, Lord, what is my calling? And looking at all of these things that I'm doing, I came to a process of recognizing there was this common thread through all the things I was doing. And it was this common thread of shifting paradigms and creating culture, uh, of, of helping people think about things in new ways and bringing us together in the context of relationship. And even today, those are hallmarks of what I give my time and my life and my energy to. And as a result of going through that process, came to a place of more clarity in my own life. And that's what I hope today, is that each of us would come to a deeper place of clarity and understanding, first of all, what calling is, and second, how we come to some conclusions in our own lives about what God is calling us to in this 
season and for our lives in general. And as we look at the idea of calling in Scripture, there are all kinds of examples and demonstrations of this idea of calling. Um, and so I, I even want the next three examples I'm going to give of these scriptural references to give us a little bit of freedom of recognizing there isn't one clear way of understanding calling. And then after I give these examples, I want us to look at five things that exist in our lives as individuals that maybe can help bring some clarity to our calling in life. So we start out in the Old Testament, you know, there's this character, Jonah, and God appears to Jonah, and God gives Jonah a specific directive, go to Nineveh. It was clear for Jonah in that moment because he heard the audible voice of God, and the audible voice of God said to Jonah, you, Jonah, right now, go from where you are to Nineveh and tell them this specific thing. When it came to Jonah's calling, there was little room for confusion. Jonah heard, although he lived in response and a bit of confusion, he heard a specific directive. Mary is another great example. An angel showed up to Mary in the middle of the night. She was terrified, and the angel said, you're going to bear the Son of God, the Messiah, who will bring hope to the world. There are examples of these very specific directives and calling, and if you have heard an audible voice with a specific directive, talk to somebody about it. It's my advice. And allow community to be a part of discerning, you know, the root of that. Is that the Lord really speaking to us? And if you have been somebody who has gotten such clarity in the calling and directive of your life, awesome. Congratulations. Um, maybe you didn't raise your hand earlier about being confused about that at times in your life. And then there are other examples. There's this guy, Matthias, and Matthias, so there's the 12 disciples. Judas betrays Jesus. He runs away. He uh, commits suicide, and now there are 11 disciples. And the disciples say, we need somebody to replace Judas. And so there were a few options. There was this guy, uh, Barsabbas, and there was another guy, Matthias, and they just didn't know who to pick. And so almost 70 times in scripture, we see other people doing what they did in that moment, and they cast lots. We don't know exactly what that means, but I would equate it something like using a magic eight ball and just determining uh, solutions like that. My sources say no. Oh, is that? Wait, what do you mean? I have to go like this? Oh, I didn't even know. I didn't know there were directions. I, don't, I didn't read the instructions. You may rely on it. So this is the problem with the magic eight ball is like, it, even its answers are vague, right? It's not like definitely no, it's my reply is no. Well, your reply is no, what do I mean? So honestly, like, this is kind of a nebulous thing to me. Literally 70 times in scripture, people use the equivalent of the magic eight ball today and God spoke through it. So I can't even tell you don't use a mag magic eight ball because there are scriptural precedent for you making decisions in your life based on a magic eight ball or flipping a coin. Now, maybe, again, maybe the Lord is saying, hey, right now you need to use magic eight ball method. But again, we're about to move into a process of using five or talking about five things that may be helpful in determining our call. The third example I want to give is Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, um, the, the apostles are looking for somebody to kind of help them feed the widows, and there's a lot of options. And the, the apostles say, you know, we need people who are full of faith, of good reputation, and led by the Holy Spirit. 
And because of those qualifications in Stephen's life, he was chosen to help oversee this process. And so in this first example of Mary or Jonah, we have God speaking directly in 70 examples throughout Scripture, including the replacement of Judas as one of the 12 disciples. We have the uh, drawing of straws. And in the life of Stephen, it comes down to some of the character traits in his life and his relationship with God and his intimacy with God. And as we talk about these five uh, components of calling, I just want to, before we get there, say this. Don't waste your life living in a cloud of unclarity. Instead, do the work of discerning your calling to live a life of purpose. Because it's really easy for us to operate in, a, in just this cloud, this nebulous cloud of uncertainty when it comes to our calling. And we hop from one thing to the next, and one person to the next, and one group to the next, and one church to the next, and one job to the next, without any sort of clarity or direction or purpose about who it is that God has created and called us to be. And I want us to do the hard work, and it is hard work because we're facing a potential area of fear in our lives. Anytime we approach the unknown, there is a level of fear that's related to that. And I think if we can just acknowledge that and embrace it as recognizing, understanding our calling isn't easy, and that's okay. And so let's just do the work of approaching these questions with God and going through the process of discerning, Lord, who is it that you've made me to be and what is it that you want me to do? Because all of those things, you know, if we hop from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, all those things might be really good. But knowing your purpose helps you learn to say no to good things and yes to the right things. And I think all of us, if we move through our lives with a lack of clarity, will always be tempted to say yes to the unlimited number of really good things that are presented to us every day. There are at least a million nonprofits existing on the face of the planet right now that you could go and work full time for. And understanding our calling eliminates a lot of those because we understand who God has created us to be and where he's leading us. Every day when we walk down the street, we're faced with opportunity to minister to people. And all of those opportunities for ministry are good. But God has created you to address specific moments and specific people and specific situations in specific ways. And that's what understanding your calling does. It helps you say no to good things and yes to the right things. And I think if each of us can move into that place, we begin seeing who we are and living in the fullness of the things that God has created us to live in. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, there's a recognition that all of these, all of the gifts, all of our callings are work of one in the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. My calling is not your calling. Your calling is not the calling of the person sitting next to you. There are general callings that all of us have as followers of Jesus to live lives of compassion and goodness and generosity. But we also have specific callings in our lives about how we live out the calling to be the hands and feet in Jesus every day in our lives. So all of that, the intro, the preface, let's move into these five components of calling. And as we move into these five components of calling tonight, you are given one of these pieces of paper. And I'm going to give us opportunities to just pause and write out some words in each of these five areas as we consider who God has created us to be and what that means about who we're called to be. 
So even now, in the moment, this morning, I want us to begin overcoming that fear of uncertainty and stepping into bringing some definition to who God has called and created us to be. And as we do that and talk about these five things, I'm just going to talk about a few of the things that the Lord has revealed to me about these five areas in my own life and hopefully give um, some examples about how we can understand these five things. So the five things are personality, our likes and dislikes, our spiritual gifts, our talents, and our experiences. So let's start with personality. We've talked a lot about personality. Ryan's talked a bit about uh, the Enneagram recently. Probably a lot of you have done the Myers-Briggs test. But what's the, the benefit of personality? When we understand who we are, we begin, hopefully you fix that misspelling. We begin, sorry, that's my fault. We begin to operate in the places and ways that bring us life. When we understand who we are, we begin to operate in the places and in the ways that bring us life. For me, in the Enneagram, let's show this first thing. So these are some of the words that define kind of a little bit about my personality when we think about that. I took the Myers-Briggs, and I'm that INTJ character over there. And, you know, one of the things that I have experienced in my life is feeling sometimes isolated or alone in the context of groups, of under, like feeling like I'm not understood or I don't understand or even walking into specific scenarios or situations with the expectation that people think and act like I do. Well, when I took the Myers-Briggs and I came to this INTG, INTJ thing, one of the things that I found out about that is 2% of the world's population share that Myers-Briggs personality. So even just like the most basic understanding of that piece of this little personality thing in the Myers-Briggs, that 2% of the, the world's population is that and maybe thinks like I do or behaves like I do, changed my expectation in the context of group scenarios and settings. Like just that simple thing of learning that about my personality helped me understand more about myself. Another thing that is um, part of the Enneagram test is this challenger word in the bottom left. It's something that I discovered taking the Enneagram test. And as a result of coming to that conclusion and understanding that and reading more about it, it gave me the opportunity to take these things that I was learning about my personality, bring them before the Lord, and, and ask, like, God, how do these things operate in healthy ways? How do they operate in unhealthy ways? How is being a challenger an asset? And how is it a liability? What does it mean for how I relate to people around me? And how do I balance it with the, the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life? And as we begin, begin to understand more about who we are and what our personality is, it clarifies how we interact with other people and how we step into specific scenarios. When we begin discovering components of our personality, we then bring them before God in the process of refinement. And that is true for all five of the things that we'll talk about today. Is it not just, like what I'm talking about today isn't just like five practical steps to under, understanding your personality. It's understanding who we are, so that we can bring those pieces of who we are before God and engage him in the process of defining and, de and clarifying and, and refining who we are as it relates to our calling. Because personality is never an excuse to not embody the fruit of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> 
You're welcome, Jen. <laughs> Personality is never an excuse to not embody the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So me, I'm a challenger. I could look at that, taking the Enneagram test. Okay, I'm a challenger. Well, okay, I'm just going to amp that up in my life. And everywhere I go and in everything I do, I'm just going to operate as the challenger. Well, the fact that I understand that part of my personality is being a challenger does not release me from being embodying the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is gentleness, right? And that's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for me to embody gentleness, but my personality does not give me license to discount that the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. If you're a feeler and you love feeling, it does not free you from embodying the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, right? You can't just, we can't just respond to our feelings because that's who we are. We bring our feelings to the feet of Jesus. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and we embody the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control. If you're an introvert, it doesn't free you from the fruit of the Spirit of kindness or love, the things that connect us to other people. If you're an achiever and you love achieving stuff and doing things, it doesn't free you from embodying the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace, right? Oh my gosh, I gotta get this done and I gotta get this done and I gotta do this and I gotta do this right. Take a breath and embrace the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace. And when we understand more about per our personality, it gives us the opportunity to bring those components of who we are before the Lord and say, Lord, like, how does this fit in with who Jesus is? And how does the Holy Spirit just want to come in and, and like redeem pieces of who I am with the fruit that is embodied in, in having the Holy Spirit inside of us? And as we understand who we are, we begin to understand who others are. We were talking about this on Thursday, and one of the things that I think Janae pointed out is like so good about this is when we understand who we are and who others are, we begin to eliminate opportunities for offense. We have a deeper understanding of why we are where we are or why we do what we do and how we fit together in a way that is complementary and brings a fuller picture of the wholeness of what it means to be the church, what it means to be the body of Christ. So our personality is huge in understanding what our call is in our lives. If we understand how we operate and the things that we tend to, tend toward, the directions we tend toward, it's a good foundational piece of understanding the bigger picture of our calling. Number two, our likes and our dislikes. And, and I think a lot of times we would like throw away this idea of likes and dislikes, seeing it as frivolous. But even the most, even the most seemingly mundane things of life can reveal something deeper about who we are. The most mundane things about what we like and what we don't like can reveal things about who we are. Again, if we're willing to bring those things before the Lord and sit with him in quiet, oh, I didn't give you a chance to write down things about your personality. I'm gonna pause, forget that, hold it, put it in a little side box for a second. And if there are words that you know about your personality, take a second to write those down on that piece of paper. They don't have to be like prescribed by some sort of test. Maybe it's just you thinking with the Lord, like what are, what are components of my personality? Take a minute to do that.
Great. All right. Likes and dislikes. Even the most seemingly mundane things of life can reveal something deeper about who we are. So we take these things that we like, that we don't like, and we bring them before the Lord. Lord, why am I drawn to those things? Why am I kind of turned away by those things? What do those things mean about who I am? Um, for me, like even some of like the bands I like say something about who I am. Um, wildlife is up there. I just spent two weeks in Africa, and I like it. It did something in me. It was a really beautiful time. Um, even in music, like. I love music, but one of the things I love about music is harmony parts, and that says something about me, and I could talk to you about it if you want to know more about it, but like, as I sat and I thought about that, like, what is the, like, my favorite part of going into a studio isn't recording guitar or even the lead vocal. It's like when you just get in the booth and you stack these really interesting harmonies about how they relate to one another and the sounds that they create. Um, I love Orlando City Soccer. I remember the first time I went to one of those games and the energy of the crowd and the people who were there and just like the, yeah, the energy that existed in the midst of that. It was, and it, I was, it was also an amazing game, which helped. They haven't been so awesome as of late, but um, yeah, even when it's not an awesome game, like the, the energy of the crowd and the people who are gathered there says something about my personality and about the things that I'm drawn to and ultimately informs a little bit about my calling. In, in, uh, in, in a lot of the things that I've come to understand about what I like and what I don't like relate back to this bigger idea about my calling that I love cultivating community. I love in, even in music, so like as a musician, I can get up and I can lead worship on stage with just me and my guitar. And Kaylee and Dakota did such an amazing job doing that this morning. But one of the, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Cheer for him, Peyton. Um, one of the things I love about music is making music with other people. And the, the kind of connection that's created as music is created with other people on stage. That's why I love orchestral music. It's these like 60 or 70 people who are all really good at one thing, but I can only listen to a solo violin player play for so long. What I love is seeing that solo violin player step into a section of violins that's in the context of a bigger orchestra in this sound that they create that none of them could ever create on their own. That's what I love about performance in general. Like, I, I remember the first time I went to Cirque du, a Cirque du Soleil show. It was La Nuba at downtown Disney. And, like, I'm, my just jaw is, like, dropped the whole show. And then the finale of that show is something called Power Track. It's these, like, X's of uh, trampolines. And there's probably 30 or 40 performers that are just doing all of this acrobatic stuff on these two trampolines. And there's these windows at the back of the stage and people like jumping up through the windows. And like as I'm watching that, I'm like holding back tears. It's so like, man, every single one of these people is so good at what they do. And then they come together. And because each of them is so prepared, they can trust one another in this way that like they're flying through the air and not colliding and killing each other. And as they come together and each of them brings their contribution, this huge thing happens. And so I start thinking about well, what do I like? What don't I like? What do those things say about who I am and what I'm called to? And at the time when I was asking this question like, Lord, what am I called to? And I came to this phrase, creating community. And then I start thinking about 
oh, I guess that's why I'm so moved by sitting at, sitting in Dr. Phillips Center and watching the newsies. Like, I'm watching the newsies, right? Not like the most crazy story of people doing something in life, but these guys who came together to stand up to the man and sell newspapers at a rate that was fair for them. And I'm just like, yes. Like, none of these people could have ever done that on their own. But they came together and they achieved something that was bigger than themselves. And as I think about what I like and the things that I'm drawn to, it says something about what I'm called to in life and so much of what I've given my time to and so much of what I continue to give my time to is built around this idea of drawing people into an idea to create something bigger than what any of us could ever accomplish on our own. When we take time to understand what we're drawn to, it can reveal something about how we're meant to invest our lives. So I want to give you a moment here just to write down some things that you're drawn to. What do you like? It may seem so mundane, but maybe as you start thinking about some of those things, it'll say something about what God is calling you into with your life. All right, number three, the third component of calling that we'll look at um, today, spiritual gifts. Knowing and embracing our spiritual gifts informs how we'll operate in our roles. Knowing and embracing our spiritual gifts informs how we'll operate in our roles. This is something that I have learned through uh, just working with our worship leaders here at our church. So we have a lot of really wonderful worship leaders. And I think for me, I grew up thinking that being a worship leader was a spiritual gift. And there was a right way to be a worship leader. And there are certainly things that we can learn and areas that we can grow in and, and things that we do. But as I began understanding spiritual gifts in the context of our worship leaders, and in my role as a worship leader, it's understanding that as I am a, a, an apostle or as I am a prophet, it informs how I lead worship. You'll notice that a lot of our worship leaders here at City Beautiful Church lead very differently. It's because uh, worship leading is not a spiritual gift. Some of our worship leaders maybe lead from a pastoral heart. And so they're addressing how we are and where we are right now in our lives as a church and as individuals. I maybe as a prophet would lead worship a little bit differently, painting a, a picture of what the Lord's vision for our life is or where we're going as a community. Somebody who maybe has the heart of a teacher is going to lead different types of songs and in different ways. And as we come to this idea of calling, so often we think about it in terms of role. But our spiritual gifts probably speak more about who we are called to be than does our job 
or our role. And so each of us brings spiritual gifts to our roles, and our spiritual gifts inform how we'll operate in our roles. Calling isn't about the container as much as it is about what's inside the container. Acts chapter 18, uh, verses 2 through 4, talks about Paul's, one of Paul's roles. We know Paul as an apostle, but in Acts 18, Paul went to see them, these two people, because he was a tent maker, as they were. He stayed and worked with them every Sabbath. He reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We see these two roles that Paul is fulfilling. He's going and persuading and talking in the temple courts, and he's also making tents. But Paul has the same calling on his life, regardless of his role as a tent maker or his role as somebody who's discussing theology in the synagogue. Paul's role as our, or sorry, Paul's calling as is our calling, it's bigger than the roles that we fulfill at any given time. Calling isn't about title as much as it is about spirit-empowered identity. Titles describe, they don't empower. Maybe you've encountered somebody who has a title that maybe you think they shouldn't have, right? And it's like, okay, well, that person is just doing this or being that way because of the title they have. And honestly, maybe they were given the title inappropriately, right? We've all had experiences with that. Calling supersedes the concept of title. And as each of us steps into different roles or different titles, we operate in that role based on the specific callings that God has placed on our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, we read a verse earlier when we started. I'm going to come back to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we all connect to the Lord and he gives us clarity about our spiritual gifts, but then they're all worked out in different ways. So I want to give you a moment here to pause and to write down um, some of the spiritual gifts that um, are some of the things you know about your spiritual gifts. Um, so go ahead and take a moment to write there. And if you want to know more about spiritual gifts, we did a series for about nine months on them at the beginning of 2015. So there's hours and hours of content for you to go listen to on our podcast. Two more components of calling, talents, and experiences. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, just touch on them. Um, honest self-assessment, when we're looking at talents. Talents. Honest self-assessment is a blessing that helps us step away from undue stress into greater fulfillment. When it comes to our talents, honest self-assessment is so key to us living a life that is like stepping away from areas of stress and into greater fulfillment. 
I think one of the examples I've experienced in this, just maybe like a practical metaphorical example of maybe some bigger ideas in your life. Um, so I've done a lot of singing in kind of the acapella world and there will be consistent gigs that I'll do at a venue or something. And there'll be singers that show up and every morning they're like struggling with their voice and they're like trying to warm up and they're timid about the day. And so much of that has to do with the fact that every day they wake up and they're going to a job where they're singing the wrong vocal part. They're either trying to sing too high or they're trying to sing too low and it's ragging their voice out and they can't do it in a long-term sustained fashion. And the same is true in each of our lives. As we assess our talents, honest self-assessment gives us the ability to step away from stress and to step into greater fulfillment when it comes to our calling every day. Back to that metaphor, that example, if those singers showed up and sang in a vocal part that they are created to sing on a regular basis, they wouldn't wake up in the morning stressed about coming to work. They wouldn't be asking, am I gonna be able to make it through all the sets that we're singing today? And they would have a greater time doing what they're doing. And I think if we're willing to have honest self-assessment about who we are and what we're good at, it gives us the ability to step away from areas of stress into greater fulfillment. And as we assess our, uh, our talents, again, we want to engage in a process with the Holy Spirit. Because what I'm not saying today is do what you're good at, don't do what you're not good at. That is one of many options. Maybe in this season of your life, you are called to focus in on something you're not good at because the Lord is growing you in that area to be able to invest into the thing that you are called to do. There are certainly areas and moments in our lives where we're called to do the thing we're not good at so we can get better at doing that thing to live out our calling in a more true and honest way. But maybe there are things that we've been trying to do that we, as we bring them before the Lord, discover that we're not supposed to be doing them and we release those things. And then what happens, it frees us to focus in on the things that God has given us the talents to do so that we then in turn can become an expert at that thing and do it with a greater level of effectiveness and fulfillment. And so when we talk about talents, what it isn't is do what you're good at, don't do what you're good at. It's understand what you're good at Understand what you're not good at. Ask the Lord what you're supposed to invest in to achieve the things that he's calling you to achieve. And then focus in on those things and then surround yourself with people who are good at the other things that you're not good at. And together, we accomplish things that are bigger than what any of us on our own could ever accomplish. So, here we go. I'm gonna give you a moment here to... Uh, Write out some talents in your, lives that, that, in your life that the Lord has given you. You know the great thing about a magic eight ball is if you don't like the answer, you just like turn it over and do it again, right? All right, number five, experiences. 
Your experiences, both positive and negative, uniquely position you to contribute to the world and speak into the lives of others. Both positive and negative experiences position you to contribute to the world and speak into the lives of others. This is the story of Moses. Moses was uniquely positioned because of his experiences to deliver the Hebrews from slavery, right? So uh, Moses was born into a Hebrew family. Um, They were under attack, so his mom put him in a river. Moses ended up in the palace. So Moses had this, um, this history of being related to the people who were in slavery, but he had the power of somebody who was in the palace, and then he had this encounter with God, and God said, hey, the reason you are where you are, and the reason you've experienced what you've experienced, and the reason you've come from where you've come from, is so that right now, those experiences can converge for you to fulfill the calling In a unique way, you are uniquely positioned to fulfill the calling that I have for your life to deliver my people from slavery. And in the same way, your experiences have set you up to achieve something specifically. And and when we think about painful experiences, there's so much language around this. There are so many phrases that we use. And I just want to bring some clarity to this tonight, I, I hope and maybe some healing for us tonight. Painful experiences aren't justified because of God's sovereignty. The painful experiences that you have had in your life can never be justified. God mourns when you mourn. God aches when you ache. God cries for your pain. God does not put painful experiences in your life to teach you a lesson. But, while we say painful experiences aren't justified because of God's sovereignty, painful experiences can be brought to redemption in God's sovereignty. God didn't make your pain to exist, but because God is sovereign, he can take your pain and combine it with the redeeming love of Jesus and bring meaning and growth to your life because of your pain. And that's how our painful experiences become leveraged for us to contribute to the world and the lives of other people. I mean, maybe, uh, it's hard to, to give examples for this, but I'm just gonna give an example, and if this happened in your life, maybe you have a different perspective. But like somebody's saying, I'm so glad I was a heroin addict for 10 years so that I can now minister to heroin addicts. No, God mourns that you were a heroin addict for 10 years. God does not want the pain of heroin in your life for a decade. But God can take that negative and painful experience in your life and turn it around in in his sovereignty, make it something that brings him glory and brings purpose to your calling in your life. So God is so gracious that in his sovereignty, he takes our positive and negative experiences and leverages them for a purpose. So I wanna just give you a moment here 
um, to write down some of the experiences that have been transformational in your life, that have had a significant impact on your life, that maybe in some way say something about who you're called to be. All right, just a few things here in summary. As we understand ourselves with the Holy Spirit, we come to clarity of calling that brings purpose, fulfillment, and effectiveness. As you understand your calling, you step into a new level of purpose, fulfillment, and effectiveness. And that is what I want for us. That is why I want you to take this piece of paper away and spend time with the Lord in prayer and in meditation and reflection and ask, Lord, what is it that you have called and created me to do? And the more we're willing to do that, the more we're willing to bring these things before him, we'll understand our clarity of our calling and we'll step into a greater level of purpose, fulfillment, and effectiveness. And this is how I've experienced this process in my own life. I've, I've taken these things and these experiences and even these five characteristics and I've said, Lord, what is it that you've called me to do? And I have a very clear statement about the calling of my life to devise and present creative content that shifts paradigms and fosters community. I love creativity. I love the power of creativity to help people think about things in different ways. And I love creativity's power and ability to bring people together in some really special ways as well. Ryan, as we were talking this week about calling, he talked about how one of the things that he's called to do is to reconcile the heart and the mind. So many of us walk through life with, life with this tension of what we think and how we feel. And how do we reconcile those things as we bring them before the Lord and allow him to give clarity to our lives? I think each of us has the ability and opportunity to come to that level of clarity about our calling in life. I don't think it's always meant to be a mystery. And I think these five things and your willingness to maybe take these five things and all the things that you've written down on that paper and say, Lord, what, are this, what does this say about the purpose of my life? What does this say about who I'm meant to be? And let me tell you, coming up with that phrase for me to understand my own calling has taken hours and hours and hours and hours of work and thought and prayer and reflection and meditation. It's not easy, but it is so good. And I want all of us to come to that level of clarity about our calling because no one can do what you're called to do the way you're called to do it. That's my paper. No one in the history of the universe has written those things on a piece of paper about who they are. No one in the seven billion people who are alive today has written the things down that you've written down and the way that you've written them. No one. 
Like this is the thing that defines the uniqueness of why God has created us and what he has called us to do. You have a specific purpose. God has created you to do something that no one else can do the way that he's created you to do it. And that's why this is so essential and why I want to challenge you to not leave today and forget about this, but to take this piece of paper and put it somewhere and commit time on your schedule, in your calendar, to consider what it is these things mean about who you're called to be. Please, please, please do it. Um, last thing, sorry, I know that there's just a lot with this. We could have made this into a series, I guess. Um, and then we take this, and let's say each of us takes one word from the five things that we wrote down today. And during the last set, I want us to take one word from each of these five areas and go back there and write it on that board. Because not only do these five areas say something unique about who we are as individuals, no other church on the face of the planet and in the history of the world, as we take five things and each of us writes them on that board right there, will have the same thing written on their board. We are called to something specific individually, and we as a church and as a people are called to something specific and unique as well, to fulfill the call of God on our collective identity at this time and this place for the purposes that he's unveiling on the face of the earth. So in just a minute when we start singing, I wanna invite you to write one of these five words from each of these categories on the board in the back and for us to see what our collective identity looks like and the uniqueness of that. So let's stand together. Maybe just uh, hold that paper too. Hold that paper in your hand. And why don't you right now just thank him for the uniqueness of who you are. Just say a prayer of thanks right there for who he's created you to be. Allow gratitude to well up in your heart. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. And then ask him to start giving you clarity. God, what do these things say about what you've called me to, who you've called me to be? God, thanks for every person who's here today. God, thanks that it's not just some like kitschy Christian phrase that you have a plan for our lives but it's like real, it's true, it's big, it's important, it's for a purpose. God, right now, would you just allow us to see the value of our lives, <laughs> how much you care about who we are? And God, I pray that as a result of today, you would call us into a new season of defined clarity about our calling, each of us in this room today. 
God, I pray for, God, just conviction in this moment for us to take this seriously. God, that we wouldn't be people who are defined by our jobs, but we would be people who are defined by our calling. We worship you, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for allowing us to know who we are in light of you.